Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 underway. Friday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine coming up in 20 minutes. Pro Football Hall of Famer Mike Singletary will be on the show. Looking forward to that. Bobby Carpenter in hour number two. We'll talk college football headlines, SEC discussion, and more with Bobby and with Austin Price of BallQuest.com coming up in today's third hour. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I'm just hoping that we can close out this week the same way the Boston Celtics closed out wow. that game last night in the fourth quarter. 40, 40 to 16. They won the fourth quarter. Are and you just more surprised rolled. by the 40 or the 16 from Golden State? How cold they went. Uh, I'm more surprised by the 40. I am too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm watching that game and everyone on the Warriors is just like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> they're, like They're, they're they hitting shots with hands in their face, fading away. You give them uh, two feet, and they're going to hit it, too. They hit covered shots, uh, open shots. Al Horford stepping out, burying everything he attempts. I mean, it was a barrage of offensive execution and hot shooting. And it started with both teams. I mean, there was a stretch there with the Warriors. Well, in the fourth quarter, even, the Warriors were matching them after they went on that initial 7-0 run. They went back and forth for a bit. It was an offensive clinic. And then the Celtics just didn't miss. And the Warriors did, and the nine, rest is history. Nine for 12 from three in the fourth quarter, and the Celtics 21 of 41 from three, 51% from beyond the arc. Uh, Paul Steph Curry started strong. He had, what, 34 points. Only 13 points, though, came after the first quarter. So Simon had a scrimmage last night. I kind of monitored the score a little bit. We got home, turned it on right at the end of the third Beginning of the fourth, and I thought, oh, Golden State's handling its business. Yeah. You know, about to head out of town, had to deal with the dogs, um, went upstairs, did a couple things, turned it on, and I hear Mark Jackson say, wow, they're doing a remarkable job of stealing a game. And I'm like, stealing a game? How's Golden State stealing a game at home? And then I kind of looked at the score, and I did a double take. And in that, maybe – Six minutes of actual time, things had flipped. I did a double. I, I looked at the score still, and I thought, like, I thought he misspoke or was yeah. making some joke about Golden State. I saw the score and still presumed it was in Golden State's favor. Then I did a double take, went back and looked at the score, and I was like, holy bleep, they've flipped this game and they are stealing it. And to me, I mean, it, usually that changes the complexion of, of, a, of a series. And certainly, for Boston to win that game with White and Horford leading the way and your best guy not shooting well, not really doing anything, and you surviving, no matter the distribution of what Curry did, Curry putting up his number and doing his part, 
I think it really tilts things in a way that I, I don't like and didn't expect. Horford but it's not just the that difference. they won that game. It's the way that they won that game. A, with the comeback. B, with secondary players doing, doing the heavy lift. Horford was the difference. I don't know if we see that type of performance again from Al Horford. But he won but, the game. Um, no doubt. And that, that three that he buried, uh, where they made six or seven consecutive threes in the fourth, and what Chad was saying, where you just look around, you go, what, what is going on here if you're Golden State? And meanwhile, Boston takes a 1-0 series lead. Well, I, I sent myself a text here. Um, the Celtics made 20 catch-and-shoot three-pointers in Game 1 as tracked by NBA court optics. This is the most of any team in a single game this postseason and the most the Celtics have made in a single game, including the regular season and playoffs. 20 catch-and-shoot three-pointers, which, A, is some great pure shooting, and, B, has to say something about Golden State's inability to close out guys who are catching passes or their willingness to allow the Celtics to take threes. That's also Golden State's game with Klay Thompson with the catch-and-shoot. Oh, absolutely. And I just, even with that, with Boston going in and stealing game one on the road, I picked Warriors in six to start. Nothing changed with me last night. I, I still think Warriors, they went in six. I picked Warriors in five, and <laughs> something changes. Yeah, for me. that 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 should definitely change. I think it's going to be a really good series and competitive throughout. But I also do not see Boston shooting to that level in any closing quarter of a game. The rest of the series. I mean, that was. I'm not going to say it was a fluke because it happened. It could happen again. I think the odds of that happening again is highly unlikely. Well, it was fluky. I, I still I mean, think the Warriors win in six. Not to discredit them in any way. They, I mean, they went out and did what they did. But uh, will there be a duplicate game in this series? It's highly improbable. I think we'll see something similar from Golden State next, where they, they get the hot When hand. is that and game? We'll, next Wednesday? Uh, Sunday, yeah. <laughs> we have to w- wait a little bit. But it's, uh, luckily, it's not a week away. It's only a few days away. Well, thank God there's a weekend yeah. coming. <laughs> We get the yeah we get the weekend primetime matchup on Sunday uh, between Golden State it's a very, and Boston. Very impressive. Uh, I thought about that this morning and did not even look at the final schedule and just knew right away. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be Sunday night. Uh, I know how these schedules go, and they're going to take way too long. Even though they're in the city and not changing venues, they're going to wait until Sunday night for a television window for Game Two, and that's the case. Tatum three for seventeen. <laughs> I mean. I, I, you know, you play this game. If I told you, right. you know, whatever. But the odds of them winning a game with Tatum shooting three of 17 is absolutely outrageous. So, you know, it's not just that they won a game. To get away with that, to me, is the most remarkable thing. And he won't have another game in the series where he shoots anything close to that percentage, I wouldn't think. The Phillies have fired Joe Girardi. Uh, after three seasons. a bad seasons. team. I mean, I, I don't really care for Joe Girardi. He managed my team, obviously, for a long stretch um, and, and didn't deliver what a Yankees manager is expected to deliver. I think he's kind of a stiff guy who overmanages a lot. But the Phillies play really bad defense, and they have a bad bullpen, which is a recipe for blowing games. And that's what that team did. Um, so, you know, I think he's the fall guy for a poorly put-together team but it was probably inevitable 22 and 29 chad that's their worst start to a season since 2017 and now he he's out and 
assistant Bobby Meacham has also been let go. Bobby so Meacham, got, famous Yankee shortstop. They that have, got sent uh, down by George Steinbrenner. Rob Thompson, their interim manager. I mean, look, I, I, there are some bad teams in Major League Baseball. I don't look at a team with Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto and some of the guys they have in that lineup that can hit as a bad team. They should be better. Well, that's what I, uh, they, why they should the be move. better. They expect that they can still turn things around. I Aaron mean, Nola is one of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball. They got a good roster. I mean, they, they should be better than they, they are got a right good rotation. now. You look at that division, and I mean, the Mets can't lose. They lost last night for the first time in seven games. Give them time. Two to nothing to the Dodgers. Absolutely. It's a long season, but I mean, it's. The Mets look great right now. You know the Braves are going to make a charge at some point. The Phillies just don't seem like a club that's going to make that charge. You know, I'm looking at them. They're going to play better than they are right now, but I think the Braves' charge in that division is inevitable with their roster and their team and their history. I think the Phillies plummeting further down the standings is inevitable. Yeah, they're there with the, the Pirates right Right. Now. Francisco well, Lindor... Closed the hotel room door on his finger. That could be the start of bad things for the Mets. That's very Met-like. And for Girardi, I think that was his fourth job. Yankees, Phillies, uh, Marlins. Marlins, and Cubs. Cubs. Yeah. Does he get a fifth chance? We talk about Probably. recycling guys. <clears throat> Probably. But Major League Baseball is not as bad as NBA, but it's, it's nowhere bad. near as tough as NFL. Um, does he get a fifth job? He's, he's not that old either. He's 57. Um, so it'd be interesting to see in baseball terms. Right. That it is going trending younger. No, he's not but, old but for, he's for not, a baseball he's manager. He's not too old. To, he's 20 years younger than LaRusso, I think I read. He has 1,120 uh, wins to 935 losses as manager, 54%. I, I think he's the kind of guy you would hire to get a team back to a certain level. I don't think he's the kind of guy you hire to t- get a team to – the top. I mean, he's not pinnacle. gotten a team to, to the pinnacle. I think he's perfect for the Pirates. <laughs> 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 Who's the works. team? I'd like? To me, Girardi is, you've got to manage the expectations. If you go to a team with a small payroll that's not expecting much, he's more of the hustle guy that's going to get you better than you thought, but not in the playoffs, right? That's going to make you a competitive team when the roster says you should not be competitive. He's not a manager you bring in and fork over a ton of money, which the Phillies are willing to do. Yeah, they did. And uh, pay a lot of money for guys and expect great things. I was happy when the Yankees moved, let uh, – I think they let his contract end. Um, I wasn't happy with what they did from there. Afterwards. Uh, but I am happy with what his replacement is doing now. Um, they had a perfect game going into the seventh last night in the nightcap against the Angels. I was going to text you guys. And then they went down one nothing. Uh, very quickly from a perfect game to trailing, and won. So they swept the Angels. Uh, Yankees and the Mets. Right now, baseball in New York is just sick. I can only imagine Yankee fans and Mets fans arguing about who's, who's, who's better. better. Because right now, Subway Series is, is the dream in New York, and it's not unrealistic if you look at the standings. We, we mentioned early. briefly the Pirates. The Pirates just swept the Dodgers. $120 million difference in payroll. The That's Pirates just beauty. swept them. That's the beauty. I, I got one friend that crushes me all the time about Yankees payroll uh, as if, like, that's a guarantee of winning. It, it's just not, uh, which is, you know, I, I wish the payroll stuff was more equal in baseball, but it's certainly, yeah, look at the Tampa Bay Rays who consistently win and are consistently uh, finding ways. They've got a formula to overcome money. Well, with the, the, to me, the payroll thing in Major League Baseball and the discrepancy of it, that's just fuel to get really pissed off. 
if you're a fan of a team spending all the money and not winning yes to a big extent and it's and it's also fuel For to sure. sit around and be apathetic if you're the reds or the pirates and you're never going to spend money and you're saying well the royals right i mean i go through the teams that just don't spend consistently and if i'm a lifelong fan of that team i'm thinking well Maybe we'll get lucky and be one of those teams yeah, that doesn't maybe, spend a dime yeah, but, but gets a good young team. If you're a yeah. fan of one of those teams, I think you're asking, though, all the time, why can't you be the Rays who contend on a regular yeah, where's basis? where's that one year? Why can't you be yeah. Oakland, which at least cycles through and is competitive, despite the fact that it has to trade its guys away as soon as they approach a second contract, but consistently has a great farm team and finds great players? There are multiple ways to do it. Some are less fun to endure than others, for sure. No, I, I, I agree with that, but I think it's also very easy if you're a fan to do exactly what Nick Saban's going to do if he loses A&M for a second straight year. Hey, they're paying everybody. We're not. Uh, that's the difference between the two teams. I mean, you start to build in excuses, and they're legitimate when you see a payroll that's you know, $100 million different you know, between one team to the next in, in a sport. But Especially you can also Paul, define w- success in different ways. I use the EPL as an example. We've talked about this a little bit. You know, there are four or five clubs there that come in the first five slots. It's a matter of in what order. If you break into that, it's a miracle. But you play for six there, and it's a big accomplishment. And, and you're, you know, if you come in sixth, it's fantastic. So what's the equivalent of the Reds I, coming I, I in think, sixth? I think you're going to hate this, Paul, because you love baseball and you're not as big of a college football fan. But I think the closest equivalent is Major League Baseball to college sports in a lot of ways because mm. – it's all about your expectation level in college sports. The expectation for Alabama football and Iowa State football are never going to be the yeah, same. Right. Uh, the That's expectation level of NFL fans is to win a Super Bowl because anyone can win a Super Bowl because the rules are set up that if you are smart and you manage things accordingly and you find the quarterback, you can win it all. That's never going to happen for 80% of college football or college basketball programs. So you set your expectations lower. I could say the same in Major League Baseball about a number of these teams that don't spend money. It's not, you know, you know the Pittsburgh Pirates will win a, a World Series again at some point, right? So it's not that you will never be able to win it all again, but there is a level of expectation management that's very similar to college sports in, in baseball. That's not the case in football because everyone actually has a chance. Well, yeah, what, what even, really, what, what's really upsetting, though, is when your team who doesn't spend develops talent and then trades them away. Yeah. You don't pay your own. You trade them away for resources for the miners. Well, and that's, that's Baltimore. Prospect. That's Kansas City. No well, Baltimore's I mean, we go not down the list of teams that, that much. Well, they had Machado as, as much know, as they used to. They, they don't pay, and they get yeah. out. Yeah, but even in the context of what you're saying, Chad, and I agree with your broader point. But in the NFL, in certain seasons, you have certain expectations, right? Atlanta last year did pretty well in the context of what it has. Atlanta could have a great year this year winning seven games. You know, based on their salary cap situation and their personnel, that a seven-win season would be really good for Atlanta heading into next year where the book's clear and, and they can shop for some better personnel. And they can, they can use the line that I've used with Arthur Smith's first year. They were in playoff contention with two weeks to go. Yeah, as which a is ridiculous. Right? Based like, on their talent and their cap problems. Crazy, but it's but, also but, not but it's a good. big difference though right? when yeah. when you can sell that and say, yeah, my expectation this year isn't yeah. high because we're rebuilding. But two but years from here's now, we'll we're going to be very quickly 
on par because we're paying the same amount as everyone like else. The Reds mm-hmm. can't say that. Reds, Royals, Pirates, Orioles. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that are never going to be able to say that. The Orioles aren't sitting around saying, you know, we're pretty bad right now, but give it a couple of years and we're going to have the same payroll as the Dodgers. Right. And then we're going to be good. It's never right. going to happen. Now, some of those teams are selling who's coming to town. Right. And, until until and the, Braves, you know, the World Championship Bra- World Champion Braves are coming to Cincinnati if they're this lucky. weekend. Well, until Elon Musk buys the Orioles, that's not <laughs> happening. And guess what? It's a bad business proposition for Elon Musk to do that, so he's probably not going to do it. So that's, that's just where you are as a franchise. Well, it becomes a vanity project. I mean, Chelsea's going to remain a good soccer club and has been a good soccer club, but for the last however many years with Robin, Roman Abramovich uh, uh, owning them, a Russian oligarch, he didn't care if he lost money because he's so rich. He just wanted to win games, so he took a huge loss. And just bought everybody he wanted. For him. And he still wasn't the best. He couldn't match Man City or Liverpool, but he was content being third. He won a Champions League, but he didn't care about cost overruns. It was a game to him, well, like a literal game. That may be true for Russian oligarchs, but uh, they may be the exception to that rule. But even the richest people in the world, and most of them are in the United States. Th- yeah, they care about the bottom line. Well, they, they can do it for a while. I mean, I, look, there's plenty of people that have enough money to say, I'll lose a I'll ton early, we win one. but eventually I want a return on investment. That's, that's in large part how they make their fortunes also. They're not just going to sit there and do it for uh, a generation and just bleed money for 25 years in pursuit of wins. They're going to want something back at some point. Well, I'm, I'm against the overly rich until you get to Steinbrenner-esque rich where you just spend your ass off in exchange for winning when that guy owns my team. Then I'm for it. But I still, I, I'm willing to bet that Steinbrenner was still making a profit. Well, he was because the wins turned into right. the brand. Yeah. And that's, but where baseball is now, bigger topic for another day, I don't know that the business is in a good enough shape right now where you could do that and just expect a profit quickly. Well, also, Go ask the Reds ownership group. And also, it's been proven you can't just spend to win. You have to spend really smartly to, to win. Look how long it took the Dodgers. And, and when the Dodgers broke through, it was a 60-game season that kind of is asterisky. But, I mean, the Dodgers still won. Like, yes, it took them a while to win the World Series, but they have won for a long time because they spent. Yeah. They didn't win at all, well, but they're, they're winning and getting to the playoffs and winning a ton of games. I know the it's a season. new thing for you finally having won a World Series, but that's what people are going for, the well, World Series, not just I mean, okay, games. tell that to a Royals fan. You know what they'd like to do? Finish above 500. Yeah. Well, then the Royals like it's baby win steps in, the last, in the last 12 years, last 15. Okay, tell it to a Pirates fan. Yeah, they played the, that's a better example. <clears throat> yeah, they played the Cardinals yeah. in the World Series, I think. Yeah. Was it, how long ago has that been? 15? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm estimating years? 15. Yeah. But, Chad, you're right. I mean, there, there are some fan bases that would just – Yeah, for a one-game playoff, they'd kill. Yeah, just um, – Well, just to be interested to be in, in, in August – I mean, how many Orioles fans would like to be interested in mid-August yeah. in their team? Like, oh, we got a shot at a wild card here. This is uh, going to be fun. Try mid-June. <laughs> Let's try not- getting out of the April, the, yeah. the month of the Orioles. <laughs> it's long known as the Chinese month of the Orioles. That's you it. mean spoiling isn't that fun? Well, no. I mean, you, if you want to <laughs> okay. get in the playoff race, hopefully you have Baltimore coming through town in September for you, you to, some, to help you out. You need some real it really alignment. makes you start to consider football season a lot quicker when you're an Orioles fan. Speaking of football season, we have one of the best football players of all time. Mike Singletary is about to join us. Uh, He will tell us about an event he has coming up in Canton, Ohio, 
and we will dive into the background of the 85 Bears. Pro Football Hall of Famer Mike Singletary next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. PK will be back with us in just a moment. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is having a fatherhood festival this uh, coming weekend. June 17th is the, uh, is the date, and it's going all weekend, Friday through Sunday, June 17th through June 19th. And Pro Football Hall of Famer Mike Singletary is our guest, and he will be a part of the fatherhood festival. Mike, great to have you on the show. Tell us about what's, what's going on in Canton. Well, we're really excited. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be hosting it along with uh, Anthony Munoz. And um, we're just excited about a program such as this that uh, fathers from all over the country uh, will be invited to come and, and just have a great weekend of uh, interaction, uh, football and sports, and even moms will be welcome. Uh, so we're very excited about the opportunity that we have there. We're seeing more and more events at Canton as they continue to to build out the, the the Pro Football Hall of Fame with all the fields and different things going on. This is certainly one of those events. Well, yes, I, I think that uh, they're they're using they're using the Hall of Fame in in a great way, and and uh, what better way to uh, use the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame than to have fathers be there and uh, really be represented and, and hopefully begin something that's, that's something like a Hall of Fame Fathers. Uh, if we could create something like that, that would be amazing. And, and Coach, you know, there's a lot of uh, issues facing our country right now. You just uh, pop open your computer and read the headlines, read a newspaper if people still do that, and you see all, uh, some of the issues out there. In your opinion, what is the top problem facing our country in terms of fathers not being present or raising kids in the right way when you go into something like this what's the number one message you want to get across to people well the number one message for me is uh all you have to do is take a step back and begin to look at some of the statistics uh they're staggering uh when you talk about the the difference that a father makes in the home and uh when there's a father that's leading the way uh when there's a father that's that's mentoring and and loving the mom uh, in the right way and mentoring to that son uh, what he should be as he grows up to be a man and mentoring to that daughter what she should look for in a husband. All of those things come together and those pieces start with the father. And uh, you know, honestly, I was raised by my mother when my dad left when I was 12 and mom did a tremendous job. But I, I can't tell you how thankful I am when I think about the time that I did get to spend with my dad up until 12 years old, the difference that he made in my life in terms of uh, his work ethic, uh, his work ethic and, and the way he went about doing things, it really made a difference in my life. Let's transition this to football and your career and your experiences in the game. You often hear that a football coach can serve as a surrogate father. 
uh, for kids that don't have that male figure in their lives. Is that true? Is that something that can actually happen? Have you seen that throughout your life? And to what extent can a coach uh, at any level of football maybe serve as someone, as a role model for some of their players? It's harder today. It's harder today for a coach to to serve as that surrogate father, that that mentor, what have you, because uh, it's just different. I, I think there was a time that that coaches could actually uh, mentor young men in a way that that really, uh, if they didn't have a father, it made a difference. Uh, that that coach could really mold that kid and shape that kid and put that kid through some things that uh, would really make him understand. This is what it is to be a man. This is what it is to uh, give your word on something and you have to follow through with it. Uh, these days, you know, things are a little bit different. Uh, coach has to be more of a manager uh, and he has to be more political, politically correct. Uh, and it makes it more difficult. Uh, and that's the unfortunate thing about, you know, what's happening in, in our country. Even when you look at college, you know, kids just jump in. If I don't like this, if I don't like the way the coach looks at me today. Man, if I was back in my college and I got there my freshman year, I would have left every day if I could have because I did not like the guy that I had. But I tell you what, without him, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Do you think your coaching career has been negatively affected because you were unwilling to be politically correct? You know, <laughs> I, I, I will say this. Uh, I, I think that uh, there are certain things that I did that I would certainly do differently. But I, I, I am not a politically correct guy. I, I, I believe that uh, it's always about that young man and trying to help him not only win that game, but how do you win in life? Um, and I'm, I'm more concerned about when that young man's gone on down the road and he's doing what he's doing, that I don't see him somewhere on the news. He robbed a store, he killed somebody, he did something like that. Uh, that. That would be the thing that I would not want on my record. Mike Singletary, our guest here on Outkick 360. The 85 Bears, who is your favorite teammate? My favorite teammate? Yes. <laughs> wow. My favorite teammate was Danny Raines. Uh, Danny Raines was a special team player. Uh, he's, a, he's the most unlikely guy that I would be friends with. Uh, the first day that I met him, he tied my shoes to the chair and I tripped. Buddy Ryan yelled at me for that. The next thing he did was he... He uh, passed gas, and he told Buddy it was me, and Buddy got on me about that. And I went home that day, and my wife said, I met this uh, girl named Debbie Rain, and she's married to a guy named Danny, and we're going out with him this weekend. I said, no, we're not. <laughs> not at all. But that is the guy that came, became one of my best friends. And a special teams player at that. And a special teams player. Do you often think about the, that, that year and, and – do you measure other teams against that team as a as a former player, or or do you look at it from a coaching perspective? No, I you know what I, I just look at it from a, a football perspective. Today, uh, to that team because different, um, you know, there were certain things that we could do then that uh, there's no way in the world uh, that you could do now. Um, the intimidation factor, and not that we're trying to intimidate people, but, you know, the way you played the game, the way you could hit people, the, the way, um, you know, you took over a game. It, it's very difficult for defense to, to do the things that we did back then. So 
you know, it's, it's very hard to say, you know, you could measure anybody against that. It's just a different game. Uh, you know, I've read a book about your team in the in the '80s with the Bears and in that season. I'm fascinated by the cast of characters in that locker room that you were just hinting at. With that, when you look back, take the football out of it. They're obviously great football players and a great football team. But when you think about the psychology of that locker room led by Mike Ditka, does it all make sense that it perfectly worked together? Or do you look back in awe that it worked at all when you think of the different personalities that came together and created that great defense and that great team? You know, uh, it, it's the thing that really taught me about what it means to be uh, a great family, a great team, a great organization. Uh, Buddy Ryan and Coach Ditka, both of them were great men, great coaches, and they didn't realize how much they needed each other. Had they stayed, had they stayed together and really tried to work together, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that we could have won at least two or three more Super Bowls. And be, because of that friction, be, because of that, it it permeated down to the team. And um, you know, we as crazy as we were, uh, you know, it was tough to try and and stay together. And on game day, man, we were tired, but we still went out there and won game. But what could we have done if we had all been together and planned the same song on the same page? Mike Singletary, our guest here on Outkick 360. Um, with, with the 49ers, what do you, as, as you look back on your coaching career, what, what do you wish you would have done differently? First of all, I wish I would have had my GM my last year. Uh, you know, the okay. GM got fired in the offseason. That really threw everything in in the wrench. I mean, that that threw everything off. Uh, you know, Scott McLuhan had done a great job. He and I worked really well together, and uh, so losing him before the season even started, that was kind of like uh, you know my right arm uh, being taken away. And and you know when you're a young coach, uh, and I really didn't know how important he was until I looked back at that time and recognized the, the strength and the power. Uh, of a GM. And so uh, that's number one. Other than that, you know, the Vernon Davis thing, I, I really wouldn't change. Um, but there are some other things that, uh, you know, and I went in the locker room and people say, well, he took his pants off. Well, you know what? I had long johns on. I had, you know, it's stuff you walk around on the street with. Uh, people don't know that. But, uh, you know, that got taken out of perspective. But more than anything, I, I wish... That, you know, when I think back at that time, I wish I would have had one more year. More than anything, I wish I had one more year uh, to really, you know, you've done a lot of work to put that team together and that team was ready to fly and um, didn't get a chance to do that. And that's life. And it's amazing to look, you know, it's, it's been a relatively short amount of time, but how much the league has changed even from your time as head coach of the 49ers. And you see now... If you are a star player in this league, especially at wide receiver, it seems the player has all the leverage to just decide, I'm not going to play under my current contract. I've already outplayed it, and I'm going to sit out, and you're either going to trade me or you're going to give me exactly what I want. Perfect example is with Debo Samuel and the 49ers right now. If Debo Samuel were to call Mike Singletary and ask for advice on how to handle this, because you know he's hearing one thing from an agent, another thing from the team, in terms of how to navigate this, what would your advice be to Debo Samuel or any player 
that's trying to pull this move right now in the NFL? You know, one thing I, I want to say, I'm really glad you asked me, and I'm, I'm going to give you the best answer that I could possibly give you. I would not give him any advice. I would just say, follow your heart. Because I remember sitting out myself, you know, so many players called me, man, you need to go in and play. Oh, man, you know, you, you, you're holding the team out, man. You're doing, look, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what the team told me. You don't know what I'm doing over here. So how in the world could I, could I possibly begin to call Debo and say, hey, Debo, you should do this. I, I don't have that right. I haven't earned that. So uh, to me, I, I just pray that he makes the right decision. I pray that I know San Francisco knows how important he is to that team. And the way the money is going today and the way the game is going today, you know, if I'm Debo, I'm going to try to get all that I can get. And, and try to get what's fair and uh, move on. They definitely need him to win. I, I do know that. Well, and we saw it work for A.J. Brown. You know, we're, we're located here in Nashville, and with the Titans, he, he pulled the same thing, you know, and, and they traded him uh, to the Eagles, and he got exactly what he wanted in a contract. Do you see this going more in that direction where teams are either going to give them what they want in a contract or trade them to someone that will instead of calling the players bluff and saying, hey, you're under contract, you cannot show up and we'll fine you, uh, but we're not going to do anything with you. Do you think it's going to go more in the direction of the players getting what, what they want? I, I, I think it has to. I, I think it's, um, it's the way the game is structured. It's the way the, the teams are structured. And, you know, if an owner can't get what he wants to get from a city, he's going to pick up and he's going to leave. So, you know, it's the same thing. It's a business decision, and that's what the game is today. And, you know, if a player's not doing his job, then you're going to get traded. If a player's not doing his job, he's going to get cut. So, um, you know, it's kind of the way the game is. And I, I, I wish I could, could say something different, but um, it kind of is what it is. Mike Singletary, our guest, do you think we'll see Kaepernick back in the league and, and he's, he's I hope out, so. He's been out five I years. So. He's getting he's getting tryouts. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know that that's really unfortunate. I, I think that's a young man that deserves a chance to play. Um, I think that he was really misunderstood. I think something that that he did, a decision that he made to stand, and and I'm not quite even sure if that's what it was at the beginning, but uh, people took it and made it something that I think it wasn't. And, uh, you know, the young man's not, not playing, and, and that's, a, that's what he loves to do. And I think there are guys that are playing that's done a lot worse. As a coach, would you welcome that? It's not a distraction, but it is a media circus that would follow him to a team. How do you handle that as a coach from, a, from that perspective? You know, any coach that takes a Colin Kaepernick, he has to have the leadership in that locker room. There has to be someone that comes alongside Colin and say, hey, Colin, look, if we get you, this is what it's going to be. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. It's going to be, it's kind of like a Jackie Robinson situation. You know, you got to know coming in that this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And can you handle that? Give me your word that you can handle it. If you can handle it, let's go. Mike Singletary has been our guest. Uh, once again, tell us about the event coming up in Canton, Coach. Well, you know, uh, once again, it's uh, from the from the seventeenth uh, through the nineteenth, and it's going to be something for everybody. It's going to be a lot of uh, activities for, for everybody: uh, father, son, daughter, mom, what have you. You're going to have mom huddles and country music, and it's just going to be a great, 
great exhibit for fathers and families. And it's going to be a great time. Fatherhoodfestival.com for more information. Mike Singletary has been our guest here on Outkick 360. Great to have you on the show, and and hopefully this is the first of, of many visits. Thanks, Coach. This is great. Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. Take care. There's Mike Singletary. Coming up, we hit more headlines here on Outkick 360. PK is about to rejoin us here in studio at 6th and Peabody. Surprised by some of his answers, and we can yeah. uh, dive more into those uh, responses from Mike Singletary. I think a lot of people, you probably have your mind made up about Mike Singletary and who he is that may be surprised by some of those answers also, so we can discuss further. More coming on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up in 30 minutes, Bobby Carpenter will be our guest from OutKick and from SiriusXM. Looking forward to chatting with him. He will be live from the Memorial Tournament in Ohio, nice. which is uh, taking place over the weekend. Looking forward to that chat. And then at uh, 4 o'clock Central, 5 o'clock Eastern, Austin Price, FallQuest.com. We'll discuss the SEC scheduling model and some big changes on the campus down in Knoxville. Uh, great chat there with Mike Singletary. Um, always, I mean, uh, when I think of him, I think of the glare through the, through the helmet and the, the old NFL films pieces and, yeah, the, and documentaries they've done on the Bears, on him. It's, uh, he's an all-time classic. The eyes popping out of his head uh, <laughs> with those images of NFL films. Uh, just a just completely old-school mentality yeah. and character in so many ways. And look, he, he admitted, you know, we asked him about his time with the 49ers, said there's a bunch of things I would change, the way I, I behaved, the way I led the team. Uh, he did say I would not change anything with the Vernon Davis situation. That's one of them that I would not have changed. Uh, but, you know, it's refreshingly honest with him. Um, I think when you think about that old-school mentality – and then you hear his answer about Debo Samuel. He said, my advice to him would be, follow your heart. No one knows your situation other than you. I, I don't know what the team told you. I don't know what it's like in your locker room. I don't know what your financial situation is like and what you want. So do what you need to do. That probably goes against what's mo- what most would think about yeah. Mike Singletary saying, you know, take the money that you have. You got a contract. Be there for the team. Show up every day. That was a little bit different. And his thoughts on Colin Kaepernick saying, you know, he thinks the kid was misunderstood. And that it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's sad to watch a guy who clearly loves football not be able to play football for five years uh, because of this. May surprise people as well. John Lynch talking like Debo Samuel's back. And <clears throat> I, I tend to think he, you know, he, he's right. Debo Samuel's not going to be able to hold out for what it costs him. So he's really got no choice. And the 49ers have played this. Uh, the exact opposite way the Titans played the, yes. the A.J. Brown thing. So we're seeing the two, two extremes. It'll be interesting to compare how things turn out for those two teams. One with their guy, one without their guy. I, I would be intrigued, though, what the 49ers would have done if another team – and they apparently received some offers, but nothing that came close to the value that Debo Samuel brings to their, their club – 
I'm, I'm curious if another team stepped up and wanted to pay him the way A.J. Brown got paid. Yeah. Because then, then you're talking about a future long-term deal. Debo's going to be all about it. He's going to demand it. And then you can move him during the draft yeah. right, and get something in return Well, for if A.J. Brown hadn't been in the picture, what would have happened yeah. for Debo Samuel? Who's not as good a player, but is a very good player. And is really good within that offense yeah. and the structure for what they do. Um, you know, now we're looking at the trade deadline. If he's going to get dealt, I mean, I would think. If that's going to happen. I yeah, mean, and a it, lot of that depends, too, on how things are going for right. the 49ers. You know, who, who are a pretty good football team. Uh, you know, one game away from the Super Bowl last year. Plenty of questions about their, their roster at quarterback, at, uh, at wide receiver, and, and elsewhere. Um, Ryan Day, we, we briefly hit this yesterday, and we'll get further into the depths of what Ryan Day is discussing and um, asking for with Bobby Carpenter. But a very specific $13 million is what he throws out there for what they need uh, for NIL with local sponsorships. And donations to hold a team together. So it's a retention. A very, roster retention. That's yeah. a very specific. You know, like why not say fifteen or twenty, like or ten? Like thirteen is just why thirteen? Yeah. Did he put out like a player survey <laughs> to find out? Hey, how much money is going to take to keep you? And then took the results of the survey and said, okay, thirteen million. Is this analytical research done by a collective right. at Ohio State that came up with that number? That's a, huge, that's a huge number to me. See, you'd think it's, your initial reaction was it's huge. To, to retain same, a roster, that's then, not even recruiting Right, that's a not roster. freshman. But Barrett yesterday with us thought it was low, which I, I, I was surprised. I think it's low if you're trying to retain the five stars who are just almost uh, willing to jump and, and leave. But... How often does that happen at Ohio State? How often do we hear of Ohio Where State going, that's wide receiver so and so transfers? I mean, it happens. Jameson we, Williams. We saw it with Jameson Williams. <laughs> yeah. but, but and we, when J- Joe Burrow as the third string quarterback is leaving, but how often do you hear of the guy who's worth paying the the millions to actually leaving? Yeah, and, it's, and if it happens, it's one guy. It's not a, a bunch of guys, right? And that, that might be why you know, Chad, you think it's high. I, I or. I, I thought, man, it only thirteen. Well, so for, for what we're hearing across the recruiting landscape, they're not going to lose starters because of money, right? So if you're going to argue, you know, I want four deep at every position of four and five star guys mm-hmm. at Ohio State and Alabama. Okay, yeah, your third string linebacker who's a sophomore that's a five star that hasn't played but on special teams that pops his head up into the transfer portal, he's going to make money to go somewhere that doesn't have a lot of five-star guys. So if you're going to try to retain everyone and hoard all that talent and make sure you have a three-deep that's four-star better, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to cost you money, but I'm with you, Hutton, that it's a very, very specific number that Ryan Day's talking about. I'd love to know Makes how you it's... almost wonder if that's what they're currently paying to keep guys through a collective exactly for next year. And that's what they need to raise every single year to make sure they, they retain their roster. At least in the short term while everyone figures out how much money is really going to be there in NIL. I wonder, like, <clears throat> is, is the lure for guys to leave, and we've covered a lot of this, not just your, if you're at Ohio State, not just your prime competition, you know, the other top five schools, but... Uh, the kid who's not playing quite as much as he thought, who came to you from, I don't know, pick a state, 
Nebraska, uh, you know, who didn't give Nebraska a second thought. But now, a year in, Nebraska says, you could be our marquee, uh, one of our marquee guys, a year in or two years in. But you have to be able to pay him. And and your value to us is way more than to Ohio State in terms of NIL. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the luxury that Nick Saban has been playing with for decades now is that he can bury four- and five-star guys on his roster that they're willing to wait. And less guys have waited at Alabama recently, but they'll wait a couple years to get their shot at starting at inside linebacker because they've seen every inside linebacker in front of them go in the first round. Well, now that guy's not going to sit around for more than a semester before he says, yeah, my hometown school, I'm from Mississippi, and Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, they're going to give me five hundred grand to go start there right now. Why would you wait around? So a combination of money and opportunity now outweighs. I mean, that's a tough sales the pitch at Alabama, right? Like you're For not sure. you're making this much here, but you shouldn't go to your home state school or this other school to make more money and play immediately. At a lesser, the sales pitch if you're Alabama is well, they haven't won national titles. Well, I want to get paid <laughs> is what these kids are going to come back and say. So, what really matters to you, I guess, is the is the the most important thing. And then you also have to discover the value of the backup four-star who's willing to transfer. What is that worth for Ohio State versus the team that's trying to recruit him or poach or however you want to phrase that? Um, and then is it really as steep as what maybe I'm thinking? Maybe it's not. Maybe the, maybe the number is it's much smaller. And there are a lot of people that believe – uh, we will see the number come down a bit Here's once teams get a grasp of what this is. How much are we going to know about these numbers? Are, are these collectives wanting to get out what it I is so that Miami's your is. collective takes over? Or is it going to be hush-hush? It's going to be hush-hush. I think it's, it it's, helps them recruit other players. I think they're going to want to get it out to some extent, but Miami's guy who's been very public about it, he's even shut up since the NCAA started squawking. Well, that about it. So I'm sure coaches and schools have come back and say, knock it off. We don't want you even back-channeling reporters talking about how much you're spending on certain guys. I would, that's, that's my guess. What's the path to finding out and how good are reporters at getting this? this is good. Another piece of covering a team now is to find this out. And then the player in the university just deny it. Jimbo Fisher doesn't know what the collectives are up to or what they're spending. Uh, (laughs) I'm aware of the term collective. I don't know of one existing here. I've heard of it. Headlines next, including Deshaun Watson and much more. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network.